audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. Every now and then of an event comes along in life that you have to keep quiet. I've kept this quiet to this point. I apologize for it. I knew that if I talked about it ahead of time, I would probably get into some trouble. Um, And even as I speak about it now, there's going to be a select few of you out there who are going to be very displeased that you weren't a part of this, okay? I'm sorry. There's sometimes you just don't have a choice, or I should say your choices are very limited. Sorry, you just didn't make the cut, okay? And what it amounts to is this. It's been a while back, not going to put a time frame on it because, again, There might be those of you frustrated with me by this, so we'll just leave that up in the air. But there was a point in time when a man by the name of Phil Robertson came to my home. Phil Robertson, who um, you might know from Duck Dynasty, you know, type of thing. He's got a podcast right now called, uh, called Unashamed. I had to keep this quiet from basically almost everyone because, because I didn't know if you knew this or not, but the elders of this church, um, they're all... Phil Robertson fans, almost like 2T, every one of them. You know, Melvin listens to podcasts. It's going to blow your mind, all right? He's listened to Phil Robertson's podcast, and, and I knew that the elders would be whining if they knew that this had taken place, and I didn't ask them to be a part of it, because I didn't. Um, so, Phil came, Phil came to, see, to see me. I'm not going to get into the details of how this happened. Uh, it was really a lucky break. But, but he came to see me, and prior to that, he's, he's Phil Robertson. I don't duck hunt. Not a duck hunter. Never done it. I don't care anything about it, all right? But it's Phil Robertson. So what I did is I got my brothers-in-law together who are duck hunters, who know a little something about it, and, and we went out. We went duck hunting. In the meantime, Donna prepared a feast at um, the house for us, and then she vacated because it was like, I mean, Phil Robertson, whatever, she, it's whatever, you know, um, and, and all, not only that, but there was going to be so much masculinity in that house that I think she's like, I think I'll just bow out of this one, all right, so, so she prepared this feast, we came to the house, I'm sorry, Mike, I said brothers-in-law, you don't, Sorry, anyway. Um, I was just like, oh my goodness, he's going to be upset with me, but we'll talk about it later. So anyway, so we came here, we, we come to the house. Let me tell you something about a group of guys in the presence of Phil Robertson. These guys aren't house trained anyway. No house training whatsoever. We had just finished uh, a morning in the field. We come in, muddy boot. I mean, it was bad. And that, like, I got a little OCD in me. Not as much as JB, but I still have a little bit in me. So it was kind of driving me crazy just a little bit, but I didn't say anything about it. So we get in there, and, um, you know, somebody said, boy, there's kind of a mess in here. Because we just got piled in around the dining room table. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll get Donna and the girls to take care of it later. <laughs> you know, that's what you say when you're around a bunch of guys. And um, so from that point on, we proceeded to do the very best we could to impress, to impress Mr. Robertson Phil with our stories. I mean, that's, that's like of our prowess as hunters. Now, I'm a duck hunter, but I like to deer hunt, you know, and I'm not great at it, but I can tell some good stories. So, so we're like telling stories. Now, we were so caught up in trying to impress him, funny enough, we didn't realize that he kind of disappeared. It's like, where'd he go? He was, he was gone, all right? And um, so we're kind of looking around. He comes out of the utility room holding a mop and a bucket full 
of soapy water. And you know what he says? And this is the first time I noticed when I looked down that he had no boots on his feet. And what he proceeds to say next is this. Real men don't make a mess of the palace and expect the women folk to clean it up. That's what he said. And then he proceeded to go and mop our floor. Now, of course, I was very embarrassed. I got up to try to help him out. He says, sit back down, son, but not before every one of you get outside and take off those stupid, filthy boots, all right? And I can tell you this, the rest of the evening, he did all of the talking. We didn't say much from then on. And yes, this never really happened, okay? It, 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 it never really did. But can you imagine that if it did... Can you imagine the lesson from that? I mean, seriously, would you ever forget something like that? Would that stick with you? Yeah, it'd stick with you. <laughs> he doesn't believe me. What we're looking at from Scripture today is to the nth degree that we can't even imagine that exact scenario. This is kind of sets it up for us just a little bit. It's the Passover. There's something we have to understand about the Passover. We don't have the Jewish mindset. When we think of Passover, we think of it in terms of Jesus fulfilling it. It's something in the past. It's something over and done with. But that was not the day and the time. And even amongst Orthodox Jews to this day, that it is not something of the past. But the Passover was an incredible time for people of that culture. It was a time of celebration. It was a time of remembrance. Their, their calendar, for the most part, focused and centralized on that yearly event. And it was not just a meal. That meal just started an entire event that would take place over a couple of days. So this is what is happening. And when we look to Luke, now you don't have to turn there, but when we look to, the, to, Luke, cha- look to Luke chapter 22 we find Jesus saying these words to his disciples. He had a couple of his disciples go and prepare a place for the Passover because he's Jesus. It was already kind of prepared. He said, you go to this person, they will tell you it's okay, and you get everything ready. So everything was ready. They were in what we call the upper room. And Jesus, as the meal is beginning to take place, as they're getting started, he turns to his disciples and he says these words, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Understand something. These are not all of Jesus' followers. These are his close followers. There's 12 men here. The men who had spent ballpark three years with him now. And those are the only ones privy to this evening. And this is so incredibly mind-blowing what happens next if we did not know human nature. (laughs) Probably sparked by the seating arrangement on some levels because, you know, the whoever... Took, took on the job of preparing the place, um, might have had something to do with this. We don't know exactly, but, but, but you know, when you're seated at a table of, of uh, as someone as important as Jesus is hosting the event, um, in this culture, you, you had places of importance around the table. 
to the right, to the left, to the right, to the left. And, and, and your level of importance would speak to where you sat around the table. And I'm guessing probably they weren't taking the advice of Jesus himself who said, not many days before this, if you go to a feast, take the least seat of importance so that the host, the king as it might be, would say, what are you sitting down there for? Why don't you move up? That's pretty, that's pretty cool to have that happen in front of a bunch of people. He said, now the opposite of this is if you take the higher seat and you're not supposed to sit there, the king's going to say, what are you sitting there for? Get up and move. Somebody more important to you needs to sit there. Well, the disciples didn't take any of this advice whatsoever, and they are arguing about who is the greatest amongst them. I mean, seriously, is this what you choose to do now Jesus sees what is taking place because I promise you you're not doing this loudly this is an undercurrent taking place he overhears and he tells them now I'm paraphrasing here just a little bit what it says in Luke 22 he says be different he said the world all that matters is getting to the top it doesn't matter how many people you step on to get to the top guys it's been 2,000 years since Jesus walked in this earth as a human being but that hasn't changed. Getting to the top, what matters? You got to step on people to do it, so be it. Jesus said, not so with you. Not so with you. Be different. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at an event in Jesus' life. Now, what we were discussing was this. We were discussing Jesus' one-of-a-kind blend of humanity and divinity he was man and he was God and he was and is both at the same time okay and as we looked at that we were talking about an event that that did not take away from his divinity his place of being a servant and that is the event we are going to look at right now and I promise you when this event is taking place his disciples are looking around when it first gets started and say what is going on here this does not make sense you see Jesus was an incredible storyteller. I mean, probably I would say the greatest storyteller ever walked the face of this earth. And I, for one, am looking forward to hearing some of his storytelling in heaven. I mean, can you imagine being in the presence of Jesus and listening to him tell a story? I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? And I hope that will take place in heaven. But even Jesus, as great of a storyteller that he was and is... Even for him, sometimes he knew that the teaching was better done by action than words. And what happens next in the upper room definitely had the disciples guessing. So let's take a look at it. Again, it's John chapter 13 beginning with the very first verse. This is what it says. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. He got up from supper and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. There's a couple things 
from this that kept really, really catch my attention? A couple of things. The very first one is Judas. I mean, think about it. Judas is still there. There's 13 men, Jesus and 12 of his followers. Judas is still there. Jesus already knows what's going on in Judas's mind. Jesus knows the arrangement that had already been made. He knew all of that, and Judas knew it too, and Judas was still there. So that's the first thing. A little bit more about Judas later. The second thing that comes off the page at me, and I'd never, I mean, I've taught about this numerous times, but somehow this escaped uh, my attention, and it took um, some reading this week to, to kind of bring it home to me, all right? So, and this is the second thing. Jesus, before he took the towel and girded himself, it says that he, he removed his outer garments. Now, when we look at the context of those words, what happened to him on the cross, what happened to him in his suffering before he went to the cross, as well as a couple periods in his life, we will see that by taking his garments, it's not just taking his, his coat off, all right? He took off his tunic and he took, out, took off his other garments, which left him basically in, in just the most basic of covering. We would probably call it like his underwear, all right? And then he wrapped a towel around himself. And the point that that makes is this. When you're in a setting like this, to do this was something that no host, no dignitary would ever do. Someone who would strip their garments in that way, that was the place of not just a slave, but the lowest of slaves. So that is the place in which Jesus puts himself. He wraps a towel around himself, and I promise you the apostles are thinking, what the heck? What is he doing? They have no idea. Do you know how difficult it is to reduce a group of people to absolute silence. You got any teachers in here? You got a few teachers? Let's say, you're, let's say the number of students in front of you is past the double digit mark, okay? And they, it is the last hour before Christmas break. How do you keep them quiet besides putting the Grinch who stole Christmas on the TV behind you, all right? I mean, seriously. We've got a group of guys here. One of them is Peter. A little bit more about him in a second. The guy never shuts up, okay? But what Jesus was going to do next reduced this group of men to silence. I mean, it wasn't just hearing a pin drop. I mean, you, I promise you, you could hear a feather drop in that room. So let's, let's dig into it a little bit. Verse 5. It says, then he, Jesus, then he poured into the basin, water into the basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he is girded. You know, this washing of feet, our concept of it has changed over the centuries. Jesus changed our concept. I'm curious. You don't have to show me by show of hands or anything, but I would, I'd be curious um, to know if anybody here has, has seen a foot washing service of some kind. 
whether I, I've seen it take place on a number of occasions. I had my own feet washed by a professor back when I was in college once upon a time. Um, I've watched, I've watched um, elders of churches wash the feet of people within the church before. I've seen, I've seen a number of these different things. I've seen a number of these kinds of things out, out, at, out at camp when I was a young person, when I was, when I was a student. I, I would see these sorts of things. And every time you see it, it's, 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 it catches off guard maybe just a little bit, but you see it as, as almost like an impressive thing. Like, boy, that's a servant-hearted person right there, you know? I mean, wow. You, know? you see, Jesus changed all of that. Because before he did this, if we were in that culture, as I've already told you, this is reserved for the lowest of the low. Guys, for a moment, just think about the environment in which they lived. Anybody been to Amish country lately? Got a few of you? Okay, you drive down a gravel road in Amish country, what's different about it? It looks a little different. Has a few additives to it, a little natural fertilizer. You know what I'm saying? Okay, kind of scattered around on the road and you're trying to miss it. Oh, don't want, oh, oh, that's a big old pile. I mean, you're just kind of, kind of dodging here and there. That's what they walked in every day. They didn't have boots and socks on. They had open-toed sandals. And they're walking through filth. And then they come to dinner. Now, when we come to dinner, we sit around our table with our feet a long ways away from the food, right? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Keep those feet, keep those feet down there. Food's up here. I mean, seriously, how comfortable would you feel? You go eat at somebody's house for the first time. Let's kick them up before we eat right there. All right? For one thing, be like, man, they're flexible. But the other thing is, that's disgusting. Now, their tables were like a foot off the floor. When you sat, you sat kind of parallel with the table with your feet kind of a little bit behind the person right beside you. You reclined upon your elbow and you ate with one hand. Your feet are there. And somehow or another, the task of washing feet, of having someone there to do it, was overlooked. And nobody took care of it. They're too busy arguing about who's most important. And Jesus takes the task upon himself. And it's silent. Until he gets to Peter. <laughs> Let me tell you something about Peter. Look at scripture. When Peter gets uncomfortable, what's he do? He starts talking. <laughs> All right? I mean, that's, that's just kind of what he did. And, and we can point the fingers at him. Many of us are the exact same way. All right? Some people kind of, okay, I'm going to be a fly on the wall. I'm going to get in the corner here. Nobody can see me. That's what some people do. But people like Peter, they start talking. So Peter starts talking. Let's look back to it here. Verse 6. Let's see what Peter says. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. And that hereafter isn't quite as far away as you might think, as we will see here soon. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, this is so comical. He said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Give me a bath. All right, right here now. If, I, if that's what it means, wash me. All right? And Jesus is like, okay, now, hold on. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. 
but is completely clean. There's a little more to that that we're going to get into later, what Jesus is stating. Jesus continues, and you are clean, but not all of you. And then we get a little bit of a parenthetical note here that John includes. Verse 11, for Jesus, he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Yeah, it was, it was an uncomfortable situation. I've already told you, it's the Passover. It's not only a Passover festival, it is the Passover. When the Passover was instituted, this is the moment that Jesus was destined to fulfill. This is the Passover. Think of all that was on the mind of Jesus. After all, he'd already told his disciples, I have long, I, so earnestly I wanted to share this meal with you before I am to suffer. You see, John chapter 12, just the chapter before, actually verse 27, you don't have to look there, and if you don't take my word for it, you can, but that lets us know that long before this, this, this Passover meal was taking place, days before, Jesus was already beginning to feel the weight and carry the weight of the burden and what was to come. Not only that, Jesus knew exactly what Judas was doing. He's God. He knew what Judas was about. He knew what Judas was up to. But he's also human. So you tell me this. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a moment. Are you telling me that a betrayal like that would not crush you? You just spent months and months with this man. Pouring yourself into him. On top of all of that, his closest friends, his students, haven't learned anything seemingly yet. They're still arguing about stupid stuff, foolishness that is fueled by pride. You see, the washing was needed. And now that Jesus had their attention, it was time to drive the point home. And here as we read the rest of this encounter, let's do something. If you have to close your eyes to do it, that's fine. What I would like you to do is put yourself in that room. Okay? Just for a moment. It's probably kind of dark. It's lit by candles. You might call it a cozy atmosphere if it wasn't so incredibly uncomfortable right now. Put yourself there. And I'm not like talking about you're going to be a fly on the wall. Put yourself in the middle of it. Because what are we if we have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus? We are his followers. We are his disciples. So put yourself there for a moment. And listen to these words. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, 
And you are right, for so I am. If then I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I give you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who was sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you know them. Is that what he says? You are blessed if you do them. Know what you're thinking. Preacher, I wasn't there. Jesus didn't wash my feet. You're right. But in the events that would follow, the next day, Jesus would not wash our feet, but he would wash our souls. He would wash us clean and free from everything shameful and wicked. Yeah, maybe he didn't wash your feet or my feet. But he washed my life. He washed my sin. And he utterly destroyed it by the power of his blood. As we come to our time of communion, it might seem a little redundant because as JB shared with us last week and as I share week after week seemingly, we come to communion with an attitude of thanksgiving. Why do we do that? Because it's what we're supposed to do. Knowing full well without the blood of Jesus Christ. Guys, I don't know. I don't know the mystery. I don't of how, how the blood of the God-man 2,000 years ago can wash us clean. It's a mystery that I'll never figure out and neither will you. How do we know it's true? Because God said it's true. And God tells the truth and keeps his promises. I don't know the mystery of how that we get connected with that. I don't know how I don't know how belief in him, confession of his name, a repentance which means making him the lord of my life and being washed clean by his blood through baptism. I don't know how any of that works. I just know it does. And if that describes your experience, we come to this time and we say thank you. Thank you that Jesus washed us clean. Thank you that he conquered the grave. He didn't stay there. Thank you that he lives and as JB shared for us a few weeks ago, he intercedes before us on a daily basis. That's how his blood cleanses. He's there saying, Father, I, my blood was shed. For Jamie, I know he's it's been a rough week for him. 
he's messed up. But I shed my blood for him. He's mine. And I make him holy so he can be yours too. So when we come to this time, we thank Jesus for that. And we also finally thank him for our future. That we'll be in the presence of Jesus forever. And he's got some stories to tell. I can't wait.